This is Melissa Lamb, and, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to Topa Talk. Talk. Hi, today we have Josh Tickell here today, who's an amazing writer, environmentalist. He's an activist, has been for years. He's also in the film industry. Him and his wife own Big Picture Ranch. Um, her name is Rebecca. She is his partner in life and in crime. In crime. <laughs> She's got his back. Um, he was born in Melbourne and Australia, and he was there for nine years and then moved to Louisiana. He actually moved straight to Cancer Alley in Louisiana, which we're going to dive into right now. Um, and propelled him. Yeah. So, Josh, you, you're nine years old. You leave gorgeous Australia, and you show up to Cancer Alley in Louisiana. Yeah, that's a, it was a real culture shock. You know, in addition to being two very different cultures. Yeah. Physically, the environments were so different. Yeah. And so I, at nine, you play outside. It's, you know, what you hope yeah. the kids do. So I went from playing outside in a relatively untouched, you know, deserty type environment, kind of like the Chaparral here in Ojai, to a swampy environment with petrochemical facilities. You know, these are, these are the huge oil refineries, the big ones that produce 50% of the gasoline in the United States, and they haven't really had any environmental review since 1978. Are you kidding me? How Barf. is that possible? I'm barfing. It's because it, they have money, Melissa. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, honestly, yeah, they so, are the mob. It's you know I didn't say it. <laughs> I did not say it. Just for the record, you know. Um, but but it's 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 a very it's a highly polluted area. It's called Cancer Corridor, Cancer Alley. And a number of documentaries and books have been written about it at this mm -hmm. point. But, but essentially, the incidence of pollution-related illness there is about 800 times the national average. So you see tremendous amounts of lymphoma, leukemia, you know, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, there, cancer, like, et cetera, et cetera. The people who live there, how are they responding to this? Do they realize the situation? Are they... I'm guessing they're employed by these companies a, a lot, lot of, of them a lot of them work for the industry or you know have relationships with the you know the industry is the area the area is the industry right. and this you see all over the yeah, world. Yeah, it reminds me of like the, the mining the communities right now. There's a lot coming out about that, about regulations that are just like not going through with and we're like failing these people that are like the backbones of our country. And yeah. look at look at lung cancer in <sighs> Appalachia. Look yeah. at um, you know, any any love canal. This go this is a long story of sort of the rise of industrialism in the Western world and the clash of our industrial technology with the environment and our human bodies. And we're just, I think this is all coming to a head now in the time that we live in as a new sort of era of thought where we're going, oh my gosh, we're actually part of the environment. Yeah, <laughs> We're not separate from it. We can't just eat machinery and live in machinery and, you know, and so here we are in the, your beautiful backyard. Oh, and, thank you. You know, <laughs> oh hi, and the sun's shining, and your dogs running around. It's beautiful. We're out here in the environment, and that's the place that I think a lot of people have forgotten. Yeah, and I and I think it's fair to say and important to say that this is extreme privilege right now. What we are experiencing right now is extreme privilege. Yep. Yeah, it is. Um. So you were in Louisiana. How long were you there for? And what made you like? When did you move out? Does your family still live there? 
I left as soon as I could. No, I just <laughs> Age I, 10. Right, yeah. <laughs> 12 months later, yeah. I got in a car and stole it. And no. Uh, but when I was, uh, I, I lived there until until college. Okay. Yeah. Where did you go to college? I went to college in a place called Sarasota, Florida, in a college called New College. Wow. Uh, which I describe as having... No grades, no clothes, and lots of psychedelic substances. Sounds oh, amazing. Okay. Yeah. I was like ready for like Florida horror stories, but that kind of sounds yeah. amazing. Florida, I have Florida some of those I'm too, scared yes. of Florida. Mostly of the people, but that's off. That's another you topic. Studied... It's an interesting mix of, you know, swamp animals and yeah. swamp people. <laughs> you know, yeah. Once again, he didn't say it. Yeah, he didn't say <laughs> it. Stephanie's you know, still got it. friends in Florida, you know? Yeah, of course. So yeah. what did you study? Did you study environment? Did you study film, writing? I, well, None I, of the above? None of the above. <laughs> I actually, I, I wanted to get a degree in uh, economics. And so I, I went for a, a degree in economics with a minor in Spanish and German. And I sort of, you know, I had no idea what, uh, what that meant. Yeah. But it sounded good. You know, Confessions of an Economic Hitman hadn't come out yet. And so the sort of John Perkins view of the world hadn't permeated a liberal circles. But we're in economics and they're explaining what economics is, right? Macroeconomics. Yeah. It's like, here's how macroeconomics works. There's infinite amounts of stuff. So you can consume infinitely. And there's infinite amounts of places to put the waste. Uh, and that's how you that's how you build an economy. I was like, wait, put my hand up. Wait, hang what do you on. mean? <laughs> yeah. Did did anyone think about no no no, that's not it, economy is about, you know, economics is about it's all about efficiency. So they're gonna figure out where to put the waste eventually. I was that's, like, what that's like the first thing what? you should be figuring out. Yeah. <laughs> so it turns out, and I you know, this took a little while to figure out, but modern economics capitalism, which we know today, mm -hmm. you talked about privilege. You know, the reason we have this system is because it's, it's based on three fundamental mistruths. Adam Smith created modern economics based on basically three lies. And the first lie is slavery, human slavery will always be possible and, and will be necessary on I some think, level. I think that's still true. Like people still think that's true. Right. It's a given. Yeah. It's like, but, but you know, it is true because we do it. Right. Exactly. That's, yeah, right? because it's in practice. It's self-fulfilling. Mm -hmm. The second mistruth is that we have infinite resources. And the third mistruth is that we have infinite sinks for waste. Yeah. None of those things are true. We just keep doing them so they seem true. Yeah. Yeah. So once I kind of got to that point in my study of economics, I, I was like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not in, I'm out, you know? I can't yeah. live Tap this. Yeah. So yeah. did you finish your degree? I changed it. And okay. remember, okay, you two are younger than I am. Yeah. <laughs> By like a long shot, right? So, you know, you have to go back in the time machine and like, go dial back the time machine now. <laughs> we're going back to 1993. Okay. We I was okay. born. We were both born. Yeah. <laughs> I was alive. Exactly. You know, like. This is Madonna was still like on the charts, okay. like in the top ten. All right. right, it's a good time in history. Yeah, it's a different world, right? So, uh, so I, even in this liberal school, I had to convince them that I could create a degree around sustainability. There was no such. <gasps> I, there was no examples. Like I went to Brown. I went to all these other universities. Looked around all of these liberal schools. No one had a degree in sustainable sustainability. So like. This is going to be a degree in sustainable living. 
and I convinced a calculus professor to sponsor it. Hell yes. Yeah. My sister came up with her own major too, yeah. actually. Okay, I don't this even is amazing. Yeah. Because you can do that, you know, these very liberal schools, mm-hmm. New College is known for creating yeah. your thing, but, but no one would sponsor it. No one would do it. They were You've so been revolutionary crazy. since 93. But now it's like everyone has a degree in sustainability. That's like normal. Well, yeah, but, but you, you cool. started, yeah, you got that ball rolling for all the rest of us. Hopefully, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe. So you finished yeah, your degree. Florida's pretty isolated. It wasn't like a beacon went out. Everybody, there is a new degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but let's flash forward to 1997 when yep. you first take your bus across the United States yes. on oil. And then how many people did that? It's not your first time in creating something cool. Yeah, can we talk about this story? At because- least... One other or two other people did that after me. Yeah. No, yeah. I know. Well, okay. So I it was. Wasn't a, it no. wasn't as popular as it. No, but know, it was like. To get I don't covered know. in news I, It was easily oil. one of, when I was younger, the most, one of the most inspiring stories I remember as a young kid growing up in this Northern California, like mainly Republican family. Like I've always been the only one in my family that has given two craps about the environment, which is weird because we grew up camping and like being in the environment, but no one took like a ownership ownership of it. Well, we were great. We always cleaned up after ourselves. Like we had those great things in line, but when it came to like breaking down capitalism and like talking about those things with like my family and stuff, they've always thought that I was weird. And like, I remember that story and like just being so jazzed up as a young kid being like, we can make changes to our actual structural things that we're doing and like do better stuff like what did you know how influential it was going to be when you were doing it or like were you just like i just want to do this thing and like if it's cool it's cool if not it's not like were you purposely trying to make a statement i was trying to make a statement but i didn't foresee any trajectory beyond getting to california you were were you just trying to like prove something like you prove to yourself prove prove to to myself first of all like i remember walking into the Mac Lab, and you know, again, we're going back in time. So Macintoshes <laughs> the were, like were these these colorful things that looked like some kind of weird contraption from the past. Yeah, cool. you yeah. remember the iMacs that yeah. looked like yeah, big they're like three hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah. and they're like blue or green yeah. or yellow. Mm-hmm. So there were a bunch of those in a room, and I remember we were working on the veggie van day and night trying to build the uh, you know this thing called the green grease machine. It was a transesterifier. Long story. Anyway, I remember. I, I was about to walk into the computer lab to go on the, the internet. internet using Netscape. <laughs> like know? how much information was really on the internet then? That you could get a phone number. Yeah. Of okay. like, and, you know, we okay. were trying to build a phone list of like KFCs to get all the Kentucky, to get the cooking oil, to right? To get to California. Right. Yeah, okay. exactly. So I... you could get kind of some of that information. Okay. Yeah. No, no pop-ups, no, you know, average. <laughs> Some ways it was a simpler world. Yeah. And I was just about to walk into the computer lab and I heard, they'll never make it past Tallahassee. Ah! And everybody laughed. And I just kind of, I shrunk back and I went back to the veggie van. I was like, it's never going to work. Oh, mean (laughs) You showed them. That was college. That was a liberal college where people were taking tremendous amounts of open-minded substances. Yeah, and they were still like, huh. Yeah. So you called all these KFCs and then you had to pitch this idea to the like well, manager. Well, I mean they're going to throw away the oil. Yeah. So it's like do you want someone I could pick it up or the guy could pick it up. It's not like that. Were I were they weird about it? It was weird. Uh, it, it was, was definitely a weird. weird. Request. It, it, it's always been a weird exchange getting the used cooking oil from a restaurant. Oh yeah, cuz is it like a fry cook handing it to you because they have no social skills? No you offense. Know, that was weird. <laughs> 
Well, I'm just saying, um, like, a backdoor deal with a guy in a flower van. Like, I'm guessing that it's kind awkward. Of, now you're building the picture, right? <laughs> yeah. So imagine, you know, if you've never worked in a fast food restaurant, first of all, you don't know this. But there's a dirty little secret hanging out back. It's the used frying oil dumpster. Oh, yeah. I've seen them. Right? Mm -hmm. And if you ever, like, open it up and kind of get your nose in there, it is, I mean, we don't have, like, smell-o-vision podcasts. No, it's a grease trap. It's disgusting. It's it's like if you could fuse the smells of, like, sewage and your worst nightmare and the worst (laughs) hangover you ever had together. Yeah. That's what it smells like. Yeah, that's a pretty accurate description, listeners. I would have to agree with you. Yeah. 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 So that's so that I had to do that a lot to get a lot of cooking oil. So and the exchange of getting that thing opened and then sucking it out. I mean, it's like if someone catches you, they're like, "What are you doing? I want this used yes. oil." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it runs my van. People are like, "What are you talking about?" Was yeah. your family supportive of you going on this adventure? Were they like, did they have the same doubts, or did, were they like, "Oh yeah, you've got this"? They they were surprisingly supportive. Well, what's the real risk? You don't yeah, make it tell a Tallahassee right. and then you go back. I think that's what their their perspective was. <laughs> yeah. Like this is, you know, it was a curiosity. Okay, so yeah. I want to like bounce around a little bit. So that's amazing. That's awesome. I know you got a ton of um like publicity and stuff from mm. that and that probably helped your career and stuff. How did you get so wrapped up and obsessed with soil? Because that's what I'm excited <laughs> right. about. Yeah. Like yeah. we have our compost, it's not really working out. Maybe you can give me some tips after, but it's, yeah. um <laughs> Yeah, it's so, tricky. you know, we have, we yeah, so, and there's just, like, the gateway to soil is just unreal, so I want to mm. kind of get into that a little bit. Mm. I was trying to explain it to Melissa before you got here, and I didn't do a good job. I don't know shit about soil. So, how did you get obsessed with we're soil? Gonna, we're going to get We're going to get Melissa. you there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you know, ultimately, all of this stuff is the same conversation, Yeah, it's all right? connected. It's, 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 it's a conversation about the future and what kind of future are we as a society consciously and unconsciously creating. Yeah. And so the basis of all civilizations is soil. Yeah. It's the basis of all wealth. So we, we talk about the basis of wealth. Oh, it's, it's oil or it's gold or it's human labor. It's, it's soil, right? Yeah. 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 Because ultimately what's land without soil, nothing is dirt, right? Or rock. So soil is the ability to sustain a given population for a given period of time. That is the function, the basic function of civilization is given by the soil. You got to have food. Yeah. No soil, no food, no food. You know, you yeah. get the rest, right? So from the veggie van, I got into biodiesel. And from biodiesel, I ended up working with some very large agricultural organizations. And during that time, there was this big push for the family farm. So farm aid, I got to meet Willie Nelson and Neil Young. (laughs) They were in in our first documentary, Fuel, right? And they were big supporters. And so there was this whole thing of like back to the land, kind of this Jeffersonian ideal that we could grow our own fuel, revitalize rural America, give people work. And, And it had a lot of the right elements. The problem was... As I traveled and saw family farms, everyone was getting pushed off their land. People were going out of business. And the constant was degraded soil. So, and, and here's, the big, here's the big realization for people. It's so simple. Here's, here's what you need to know about soil. Go to your local nursery and open up a bag of potting soil. 
it will be black and rich and smelly, okay? Now drive anywhere in agricultural America. We're in California. Drive up the, the five and, and, and take it oh, an exit. Oh, Bakersfield, baby. Yeah. Exit the freeway. This is the hard part, okay? <laughs> Not just to go to the Taco Bell, you know, the Baja Fresh or whatever. Like, actually go through the town and find a field where they're growing something. Get out of your car, walk out into the field, look down, and put your hand in the ground. In the, and you will pull up sand. Sand. It is not dirt. It is not even dirt. It is like silicon. It is, it, is, it is mineral elements. There is so little going on in there. So little carbon. So and It's so not a living. It's, yeah, it's, it's not it, living. You know, there are microorganisms, but they're primarily dormant. It is mostly chemicals and minerals. And so if you look at these two things, they seem so innocuous. Potting soil in a nursery versus what most of our food is grown in. Those are the two pathways for our civilization. Those are the two pathways for our health as human beings. Those are the two pathways for our ecosystem. I can't wait to hear what you're going to say, but I have one more thing to say. And those are the two pathways for our climate. So when you start to get like all of these things, all of the central human issues that we face on planet Earth right now relate to the ability to care for Soil and to have soil care for us. I'm talking about water scarcity. Where even you can look at terrorism as a result of population migrations, which occur in countries which have been desertified, which can no longer support their populations, which become destabilized and become you know. So you know, if you look at the socio-economic structure of the planet, you will find soil as the one constant in every situation, every language. Everywhere. I love it. Mic drop. Mic drop. <laughs> I was going to say, would you say it's like two worlds? It is. It is like two worlds. So yeah, how are they? It is. Once Very again, much. please excuse my ignorance. So how are people even growing stuff in that mineral type soil? Because of the chemicals? Yes. Yeah. The yeah. chemicals okay. just like push everything through. And, and so... Then my next question is, how do they change that? How do they like, do they just go buy a bunch of potting? So no. like, that's not obviously not the option. I'm being ridiculous. <laughs> well, no, but well, like, I mean, they're, but like, they're, how they're... do you start to? How do they change? Like, yeah. what what do we do? We've yeah. uh, we've established the problem. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the solution? Great, I love it. You just like, let's just skip to get I'm to sorry. the chase. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Yeah, well, the well how the do, solution let's... is the solution is first of all, it's a framework of thought, right? Mm-hmm. So. You want the quick fix. I'm going to give you the long no, answer. No, no, no. I, I want the long answer. Okay, good. All right. So the long answer is you can't solve the type of global problems that we have with the same thinking that we've been using for the past 50 or 60 years, which is an industrial model of really moving toward resources and away from waste. We, we Everything is linear in our world, right? We've got everything is geared toward a production model. It is like a virus. We move toward resources and away from waste. That model cannot fix the soil because even in the sustainability conversation that got created out of the 60s and 70s, it's kind of like, that's a do no harm mentality. It's a, it's let's recycle and let's, let's do less bad. Let's sustain where we're at. Well, by 1960, we'd lost half the topsoil on planet Earth. 
we were already rocketing to a population explosion where there was no way we were going to be able to feed the amount of people that were just being born in 1960. So to, to have a conversation about sustainability based on where we were at as a civilization in 1960 was fatally flawed. And now we're reaping, we're at the, we have now realized sustainability. We're at sustain, we're recycling, we've got green consciousness. Oh my gosh, companies are green, it's great. We know that there's a climate crisis, like we have the language, right? Why does everything suck in terms of our environmental? Because we have no framework for actually dealing with the problem. So the first thing we have to think about is what's the, what's the mental framework? What is the new thought pattern? And the new thought pattern is what we talk about in Kiss the Ground. It's what the Kiss the Ground nonprofit is all about. It's about regeneration. It's not sustainability. It's how do we rebuild the ecosystem? How do we actually rebuild the basic resources, the soil, the water, the trees, the megafauna, the microfauna, the flora, the entire system as if we were going to Mars and we were going to have to terraform it because we have reverse terraformed the majority of our planet. So now we have to engage ourselves in a totally new headspace, which isn't like, oh, let's sustain this lake. It's full of nitrates and pollution. No, that lake used to be part of a thriving ecosystem. Let's rebuild the entire ecosystem from the ground up. I hear what you're saying. You're focusing on the lake, but how are the trees doing right there? Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How's let's, the company that's doing business down the street, yeah. you know, letting its affluent? What's in that uh, like yeah. slogan that's like recycle, reuse, whatever? Reduce. Reduce. They should throw in rebuild. Rebuild. Yeah. Like that. Or regenerate. regenerate. Yeah. That's yeah. the word regenerate. you use. Yeah. 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 So basically, it's like, okay, sure, you're recycling great, but like you're recycling things we're already doing. You want to add in a new thing. Yeah. This is the new thing is. Imagine if you could take a desert and install a forest. Just imagine if there was like an app for that. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the story about the guy and his wife who planted a tree every day? I forget where it is. I'm just rambling. Sorry. But yeah, this guy went and planted a tree like once a week or something with his wife. And yeah. it's been 50 years. And you can you can see uh, satellite photos. Oh, yes. That is like they rebuilt the forest. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they by taking the their time. Yeah, and yeah. Putting in the work. Okay, yeah. I have a really random question. So, so I'll get to the how-to. Okay. Because yes. I didn't actually answer your question. Yeah, no, yeah. but you kind of did. But yeah, please elaborate. But do you want to ask your question? No, first? because mine is. I'll we'll ask get to it the silly on. question. Yeah, it's a silly question. All right. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Case. We're okay. gonna have some fun too. So, so regeneration. So now we have a context, right? Now we have a new framework. We have a new like pattern of thought. Like we can look at a degraded ecosystem. We can walk around and be like, God, there's no soil on. It's just dirt right there. You know, you can drive up the 33 to where we're performing mass agriculture and be like, wow, that's horrible. What should we do? Sustain it? No, you shouldn't sustain it. Don't sustain it. I get where you're coming from because it's like you're just going to sustain the crappy soil we already yeah, have there. It's not a good idea. So <laughs> in regenerative agriculture, we collate tools that rebuild soil, rebuild water systems, rebuild watersheds, rebuild forests, and ultimately rebuild the system that holds all those things together. And also, it just like light bulb went off in my mind based on what you're saying is this actually helps with our waste problem in a huge way. Because if people come, I, I literally don't even, we haven't put a bag of trash in the trash can in two, two weeks. 
because we compost all of our food. We, wow. we have almost no food waste and our compost isn't even that big. And we've been composting for two full years. And it's like, there's the waste problem. We're talking about being linear. So to regenerate, put it back into the ground and let it do its thing. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so, you know, the simple methods that we talk about in regenerative agriculture, not tilling the soil. When you till the soil, you release the carbon in the soil. That, yeah. So you did, the soil the did no idea. The soil did this great job, right? Yeah. Got the carbon. Yep. And we're like, be free. Yeah. Yeah. Just till it up. Put it back in the atmosphere. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm so, so silly. So that releases the water and the, the carbon, right? And breaks the mycorrhizal fungi, which is the kind of the internet of the soil that interconnects the plant species and lets them communicate. So essentially we're, it's like, it's like taking a rototiller to the internet. That's what we do when we till the soil. Poopsies, poopsies. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, no more, no more, you know, YouTube, right. That's what yeah. it's like. So, yeah. so no tilling. And if you, yeah. if, and like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm guessing if you do this process correctly with the soil, you don't need to till it. It right. should be like fresh and ready to go and yeah. based on all of those practices. Yeah. Now, if you're starting with like soil that is like cement, literally. Like what we did here. Yeah. Then you may have to till it. We you did. may have to get that initial, you may have to break the, because what's happened is it's dry and it's compacted. It's lost all its water. It's lost all its carbon. To get the water and the carbon back in, you may have to break it a little bit. So... But the process, once it begins, involves not tilling the soil. It involves using animal husbandry, meaning actually herding animals across the land because people are like, well, you know, cows are bad. Bison, which are the predecessor for cows or buffalo, built the soils that we have in the Americas by herding across the land. Now we don't herd them, so now we think they're bad. Yeah. But without the movement of animals and without animal feces on the land, it's very hard to rebuild soil. You can do it with compost in, in different scales. But to do it on a large scale, you need animals, specifically herbivores, and a lot of them. Yeah, I've read that, I've read that a lot of farmers f um, move their um, plots based on where the pigs were last or something. Exactly. So they'll have the pigs here for a bit, yep. and then that's where next year's garden is. That's it. Yeah. Move the pigs. Yeah. Make the garden. Yep. Very cool. Yep. So it's no-till. It's using animal husbandry in in a in a mindful way. It's using a combination of species. We tend, especially in America, we pioneered the one crop. We're just going to grow one thing. Oh, my God. So Callie and I talk about this all the time. Sure, you can buy organic. Do it. That's great. But there's organic farms that are just farming carrots. That's not good. Yeah. There needs They need to be, like, biodynamic. Yeah. So how do you how do you create biodynamic? How do you create a dynamic mix of species where each species is supporting the other, is supporting healthy soil, right? Yeah. So those are some of the central there's don't there's layers think, and layers. Can but those I play are the devil's advocate? Things. Please. So don't Let's you go. think don't you think that might be hard uh, not hard for farmers, like on a marketing level. So farmers still have to run a business. Hmm. So if one year you're growing carrots and you get like, oh my gosh, you're growing the best carrots that I've ever tasted. Like yep. we want to buy your carrots. They command this price and you make money from that. And then you're like, okay, well next year I need to grow lettuce. Well then like nobody likes your lettuce and you're No, you can keep less. growing carrots. <laughs> you don't <laughs> have to not, answer? yeah, you don't have to stop growing carrots. Well, I think <laughs> like, what you're saying is, in, in the current system, 
if you are a farmer or a rancher and you grow a product and you know what the price is and you know how the market works, and then you have to begin to diversify, all of a sudden that makes it much more difficult to predict, to create uh, a system that works financially. Oh, the business it, risk goes up. That's the assumption, right? Yes, right. that would be my assumption. Yeah, that the is the assumption. assumption, but just based on listening to you, <laughs> if you do the biodynamic thing right, yeah. there's less risk because you'll be able to grow more from better soil well, or more the, scrumptious carrots. Exactly. Here's the, here's the dark reality of why we grow what we grow in the United States. It's very simple. It boils down to something called crop insurance. And most farmers of scale get crop insurance from the government. And the way it goes is every year the government sets prices for corn, the number one crop in the U.S., soybean, the number two crop in the U.S., and all the other crops. And as a farmer, they will look at those prices and go, oh, it's more profitable for me to plant corn. They take out the insurance. They plant the corn. It doesn't matter if the corn never produces one kernel of corn, they are still paid yeah, because, that price yeah, the government, by the government. Right. Yeah. Melissa, I've, are you with me? I've known no, that for I'm a long with you. time. I'm just upset about the information you're delivering. Yeah. I've known that for a long time. We're, yeah. I'm so happy that Melissa's sitting here right now. Yeah. yeah so. Her eyes started darting around the room. I, I wasn't sure if she was looking she's for stroking. a weapon. She's stroking or, out right now. I'm, okay. I'm just like having a hard. So. So. <laughs> No, so that just like frustrates me that they like don't even have to put in any effort. I mean, like I th- I get that crop insurance is great because if you do have farmers that are truly caring and truly passionate, and if something happens with with the season or crop whatever, failure, yeah, yeah, like I get yeah. that. That's totally cool. But that's just really upsetting to hear L- let people me tell you, taking advantage. of Let me of tell the you system. the the name of the crop insurance program. Yes, it's called a minimum price guarantee. Does that sound like crop insurance to you? No, <laughs> no. No, it sure doesn't. But the sad thing is, and this is, you know, because everybody goes, oh, farmers, they're so evil. They got this big lobby. It's like, you know, Darth Vader or something. Farmers, most farmers are great people. And they really, they work super hard. hard. I've never met a farmer who doesn't wake up at 4 a.m. and work just like crazy. Most of them are two-income families. They have to have the, you know, the wife will have to have, generally the wife has to have an off-farm job to support the farm. And the terrible thing about the crop insurance program, it literally steals the future out from under the farmers. Because while they are dripping this crop insurance, they're pushing the farmers to grow more and more and more, buy more chemicals, buy more machinery, which means they take up bigger loans against their land, which means they then have to consolidate more land in order to have enough to meet the... This and is you can depressing. S- you can see where that cycle goes, right? Yeah. So which how do why we we're losing smash tremendous- that process? Yeah. So, you know, the kiss the ground model, and this is what we talk about in the book. And by the way, you know, if you don't like to read books, I'm not offended, but you should get the audio book because that's fun. I and the watch the documentary that's yeah, about exactly. to come out. Yeah. And join the nonprofit kiss the ground. That's what I was about to ask com. too. Yeah. So is, does the nonprofit help go in and help people start this reform? Yes. The okay. nonprofit oh. is, is, is based in education. So uh, what kiss the ground the nonprofit is doing actually, I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but for instance, tomorrow a new soil course begins. And it's global, it's internet-based, anyone can join. They also do live soil courses, but it happens over a period of time, and they teach all of these principles. It doesn't matter if you're in Uganda 
or New Zealand or Ojai, California, you're going to get the same information and you're going to be able to apply the same techniques. Yeah, and that's so wonderful because uh, smartphones, everyone has a smartphone. Yeah. yeah. Everyone has a smartphone. Everyone, even in Uganda, has a smartphone. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's very um, available. But my question is, is don't, aren't there different soils in different areas and don't different soils promote different crops to be grown or like is that a silly question no it's a it's not a silly <laughs> yeah, question. growing conditions a, growing conditions change uh the fungal content of your soil changes the bacterial content of your you know all sorts of you know the rainfall pattern the the amount of sun you get the you know the the crops that are native to that area but the principles remain the same okay the everywhere fundamentals. in the world the fundamentals are the same and the deeper you get, the more knowledge you have. You look, oh, this soil is, you know, it's got a high bacterial. It smells like this, yeah. or this soil is very compacted, you know. But the the plan of working with nature is always the same. And the upside is this, because you asked about money. The bottom line is always <laughs> the bottom line, right? Yeah. Right now, we have a system where we pay tax money to the government to pay farmers to grow crops that make humans and animals sick and hurt the climate, right? Yeah. That's the system. We're literally paying the government to make sure that we're as sick as possible. By the way, the same government agency, you know, created the healthy plate, which is this plate of food that we're supposed to be eating, which none it does not resemble what we're growing whatsoever. So right, you see green on there and you're like, wait, soybeans yeah. and corn yeah. aren't green. <laughs> it's a little like trying to drive a car backwards by looking in the rearview well, mirror, it's like brainwashing while pushing on the accelerator pedal. Is there anywhere it, in yeah. the yeah. country? <laughs> is there anywhere in the country that's uh, uh, like kind of ahead of the game that you think is doing really great things? Well, you see more of this. You see more of an embrace of these concepts on the coasts, and and there are some trends that are very consistent, right? Um, uh, acceleration of of adoption of farms by women as primary as, as I was going to say farmer. that I was going to say that on the coasts. I see you know? that. Uh, that also goes with organic. You see that far more, you know, women fostering other women farmers. That is almost exclusively an organic farm phenomenon. There are organizations, when you get in there, they, oh, they're all their philosophy is about ecology and helping each other and Mother Earth. I mean, it's, what do you know? You know, right? <laughs> yeah, I definitely, yeah. I've looked it's into. It's not about money and yeah, big tractors and yeah, chemical there's companies. Yeah, there's so many female-ran programs yeah. that give scholarships to young farmers because, First generation women farmers is like a huge minority. Yes. So yeah. they're definitely trying to make that a thing. And ranchers. I mean, that's what we're seeing as well as we're seeing a transition in young people because of the understanding that animals play such a critical role in this. We see a lot of young people taking up sort of, okay, the ranch banner where they're like, I am going to ranch. I'm going to have animals. I'm going to move them around. I'm going to sell them at market. Yeah, they're going to become hamburgers. That is going to freak some people out. It's not an impossible animal. It's a real animal. Yeah. And they, they prefer, provide a real ecosystem function. But all of that said, the hero in the Kiss the Ground book is Gabe Brown. He's a North Dakota farmer who looks like he, yeah, he looks like a, a couple of refrigerators that have been strapped together. <laughs> oh my god, I love him. He's, he's a square guy. I mean, really squared-looking frame guy. You wouldn't be able to pick him out of a lineup of farmers. And Gabe, because he had all these setbacks in the beginning, because he didn't grow up on a farm, he went back and he read Thomas Jefferson's journals, 
And he was like, how did they do this in the beginning of agrarian America? Like, we kind of founded the country on these agrarian ideals. Um, And basically started to develop the fundamentals that became the American system of regenerative agriculture. He farms... um, with his son, about 4,500 acres. Holy and cannoli. And that's the around the average size farm in the U.S. is 2,500 acres. So it's, wow. it's, it's a scale. This is not a backyard operation. It's a yeah. scale, scale operation. And the average farm is lucky if it's making per acre more than $10 an acre. He's making five. A year? Making five. Net, net profit making 500 bucks an acre a year. So put his son through college, paid off the farm. You go what is there, he doing that's so different? He's doing regenerative agriculture. But how does that translate into actual money? He grows. So um, Gabe, on a given field, will grow a cover crop, 19 different species, right? So he's seeding these 19 species, not corn, not soy, sunflowers, triticale, vetch, all this is different sunflower stuff. Is sunflower considered a cover crop? It's part of it's it can be part of many cover crop mixes have sunflower. Interesting. Yeah, many okay. cover crops. So he'll seed these nineteen species, feed the carbon into the soil, bring the cows and the other animals through, they oh, mow the species down, genius. fertilize the soil. Meanwhile, his cost to feed the animals zero because he just fed them. With 19 different species. And not pumping them with corn for exactly. some Exactly. And guess, reason. Guess, guess what the animals are. Super healthy, vibrant beasts that are happy. They're outside. And that's the... And then he's got bees and he's got... And so instead of just... A little ecosystem. Exactly. And every part of that ecosystem provides, whether it's honey or whether it's bacon or whether it's wheat or corn or... And he grows corn and soy as well. But... It is a diverse... Think about your bank portfolio. Yeah, you want to diversify. It is a diversified mix of stuff. So, so that's where di- that's where diversifying makes sense to me. Yeah. And so he's making... You know, let's say we did this on a national scale, right? We're talking about farmers making billions of dollars more, taxes being, you know, tax money not siphoning out of the government, billions of dollars that is now staying in the government. It's useful for other things, mm-hmm. right? And so we've changed the entire economic model. And then what's on our grocery store shelves as a result? Well, higher quality products. Yeah, let's go through the grocery store and look at what's on the shelves. Anything in the middle of your average grocery store, average grocery store, I'm not talking about a eco-conscious hippie California, you know, entitled little, you know, village of (laughs) white rich people grocery store. But, you know, like average grocery store, you know, anything in the middle in a box bag or a carton is primarily repackaged corn and soy with as much corn syrup as possible to trick your taste buds into thinking that you should be eating that. Yeah, It's like making you addicted. Yeah. Literally. And why do we have a sick country? Well, it's pretty simple. So now... If you design the farm to design the ecosystem, to design the diet, to be dynamic based on what the seasons can and will produce, you're suddenly eating from the land. Yeah. That changes everything. Okay. So. Amazing. Josh. Oh. How long is it going to take for us to, for the whole United States to get on board? When do you think this change will actually happen and you'll really, really start to see the effects? It's a deep question. 
I know. I'm sorry. Melissa wants answers. It's a deep question. And here's why it's a deep question, right? Because I could tell you, go out and go to your farmer's market and consume these products and support these farmers, and that's going to create the regenerative revolution, right? And it will help. Don't not support people who are doing this. Please support these regenerative ranchers and farmers. God, if you can, help them, right? Um, Ultimately, this is a question of political will. Yeah. That is what it boils down to. How long does it take? It takes, think about the big transitions in American agricultural history, right? We went from growing hemp for the majority of our industrial processes at the sort of beginning of the American agricultural revolution. The majority of stuff, rope, et cetera, hemp, right? Gone in a few years, right? Then you look at the the First and Second World War where people had to grow their own food. Suddenly 50% of our calories were being grown in backyards and schoolyards and in baseball. They plowed up baseball fields to grow food. In the in, in the America, in, and they did it not just in America. They did it in yeah. England. They did it in Australia. They did the the entire Allied force. They had the an international program to make sure that they could feed people while they went to war, mm-hmm. and so that was a transition that occurred not in a matter of years. It occurred in a matter of months, literally a matter. So, do you of months. think this is going to be like a revolution? It's going to happen. There's going to be a tipping point, and then it's just going to accelerate. I think. On I think we are. In a time of revolution. Yeah, so the follow-up book to Kiss the Ground is called The Revolution Generation. And it's about the future. It's about what is the future that we're creating. And we're seeing, we're starting to dance in this conversation at a national level for the first time since I've been involved in this, you know, and I've been doing this a little while now. When you see things like the Green New Deal and Mm, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and and then all of a sudden you see, you know, Greta Thunberg mm-hmm. over there in Europe leading international student strikes oh with climate. You and then it just it just starts to spread, and you're like, wow, is this a flash in the pan? Because that's the real question that we're asking is a generational question. Because you got fifty percent of the people alive today under the age of thirty five. That's more people than were alive in nineteen fifty. The consciousness of what we're talking about is obviously a generational consciousness. It doesn't take a genius to figure out, you know, who's making the money, who wants to keep the systems we have in place, and who wants to change them. Yeah, right? I feel like we're in a huge time of disrust. Rest, yeah. for yeah. sure. Disruption, mm-hmm. unrest, just, you know, sort of dissent. And and that is required. It it's not it's not optional. None of those things are optional if we're going to change the the sort of root of this system. Because the root of the system, it's not what we're having for dinner. Yes, it is what we're having for dinner. And the demand creates supply. And that, that happens in a functional economy where people actually can vote with their money where the system hasn't been rigged. But when the system's rigged, you have to go to the source of the system. You have to talk about structural change, which means you got to you got to change the policy. policies. You got to change policy. So the the answer to your question: How long will this take? It will take less than a year, mm-hmm. less than a year for the major fundamental policy changes to be enacted once they begin. 
My question. I can't wait. <laughs> my question to people listening. Well, if you can't wait, then you have to get involved. My question yeah. to people listening is when are we going to begin the policy changes? Yeah. Because this is fast. Regenerative agriculture, we've talked a lot about food. We haven't talked at all about climate. You know, the big assumption right. is that we've got this terrible, horrible thing. And this is, again, from the context of sustainability. we got to sustain the climate crisis. That's the current thinking around the climate crisis. we got to sustain a two-degree increase because that's only going to kill off, you know, a third of mm -hmm. the human population by 2075. That future sucks. Yeah. Who came up with that idea? I don't want to sustain the crisis. Regenerative agriculture is the key to reversing the climate crisis because it's the only way we can take the thousand gigatons of CO2 that we put in the atmosphere and store it somewhere. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere else to put it. You can't put it in the atmosphere. It's already You want to talk about a waste problem. We have yeah. a solution to that <laughs> waste problem. You can't put it in the oceans. They're full. Well, the ocean's Where trying it? its hardest. Yeah. Yeah. And it's turning into carbonic acid. And, yep. You know, for people following Ru that conversation, not, Ruining, a, not uh, a good end, right? No, 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 no. So, so the only place you can put that thousand gigatons of CO2 that we put in the atmosphere since the birth of the Industrial Revolution is in the soil is very simple and the soil has a mechanism for doing it we just have to it's like a yeast you have to start the culture yeah you have got to start the process and so in america it's a political conversation in other countries it's a conversation of reorienting agricultural practices sometimes back to what they were doing in china it is a totally different conversation there's a place in china called the lost plateau which is the size of they took an area the size of Belgium that had turned into a rocky desert. It was where the Han dynasty began. This is part of the birthplace for human civilization. It had been farmed and ranched to nothing, to dirt and rock. And within a period of 10 years, they turned it into a lush ecosystem mm. using these techniques. And now that is spreading across China. That is becoming the it. new paradigm you know they're still they're still struggling with monocrops and GMOs and all that stuff, but meanwhile they've created a national mandate to replicate. They are the experts at turning deserts into forests. They've done it, and because we've seen it, because it's been documented, because they filmed it for twenty years, we know it can be done not just in a backyard, but literally on millions and millions of acres. So now you begin a new conversation. Great. So we got some policy issues. Look, you guys knew we had some policy issues before I came and had this conversation with you. <laughs> this should not be news to anybody no. who's got a heartbeat in America right now. Yeah. We have policy issues, right? But if we can take a moment to imagine the future, say, okay, we're going to have 10 billion humans by 2050, and we have to feed them uh, and give them anxious. water, right? Okay, okay. But remember, we're in a new paradigm, new yeah. thinking, regeneration, yeah. okay? We have huge amounts of land yeah. that cannot be farmed right now, that within a matter of years, we used to think it took a thousand years to build an inch of topsoil. Our regenerative ranchers and farmers are building inches of topsoil in three to five years. That's no time. That's super fast. Yeah. You could literally put entire lush forest ecosystems into many of the man-made deserts on the planet. Within a matter of 10 to 20 years, we could reverse climate change. We could have global cooling by 2050. I'm such a cynic when it comes to all this, because do you think that there's enough money against this? That's, I mean, that doesn't want the, to see that change because they're too afraid to lose their way of life or something? Like, that's how I feel about America. I feel like 
the people against wanting to change the people who first of all will deny it till their death that climate change is even happening they also have a lot of money like i i think we live in the time when anything's possible okay that's fair you know yeah I think that uh, it's also a very defeatist thought. <laughs> well, look, our society is in is very enrolling, and this is the number one thing people have to really focus on the positive and the opportunity. You go on to Facebook, you go on to news on your phone, and you see so much negativity. Yeah, and really, most of it's meaningless. You know. Most of it has no bearing on the future of your life or your civilization. What this conversation is, is can we design? Can we design the next thousand years? This is a long game, okay? Much of what's <laughs> going to happen is set, in, is set in motion. You, Sorry to kind of switch topics here. You have children, yes. correct? Yes, yeah. Have they propelled you even more because of the thought of them having to live in this world has that ch- has that pushed you even further or are you like i i got this no matter what <laughs> no i mean it's you know i have a lot of you know, we're in an environmental conversation with our community so we have friends who will not have children because they are absolutely they will not bring kids into it you know it's not a responsible thing to do i'm not going to bring them into a climate <laughs> chaos world etc cetera, etc cetera, right uh, I take the I take the sort of middle ground road, right? Um, we have two beautiful kids, my wife and I, and they're already little climate warriors. You know, Aww, they're already yeah. how old are they? Five and two. Amazing. Yeah. And so they come to the film premieres, and you know, Athena's been she's been involved in the Kiss the Ground project literally since she was born. Her entire life has been inside Kiss the Ground. So she knows about Mama Earth and the soil and grounding and earthing and earthworms and climate and CO2. She knows what CO2 is. She, one of her favorite books she wants to read is The Story of Microbes. I'm obsessed night. with her. She's going to be <laughs> She's a so force cool. to reckon She's with. So cool. She already is. Trust me. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, all right, that's, uh, you know, I'm not going to not have kids because I'm terrified about a future, which, which is totally avoidable. You know, and so uh, the big question, the big question is not what sucks in the world or what bad news stories are we having today or, you know, what did the president do or not do? It's what are we creating for the next thousand years of human existence? Because a thousand years ago, we started to create the basis for what would become the Industrial Revolution. And it wasn't yeah. that many people that created it. Some people kind of sat around there. Wouldn't it be nice if some machines did some of this stuff? <laughs> I would like to go to America, not in a boat, and die of scurvy. Could we, like, get there? You know, you know, Leonardo da Vinci was sketching things that would become airplanes. People were imagining what it could be. And then, you know, it became that. And now change is happening so much faster. When I got involved in the alternative fuels movement in the 90s, it was like, we could see that the electric car was just a no-brainer, but no one could build the pieces like there were no parts. You know, you, you, there was literally no battery. There was no engine. It didn't exist. We were using airplane starter motors oh my God. <laughs> for car engines to prove that you could make an electric car. Yeah. And so, you know, it just takes one person. It just takes one Elon Musk type person to be like, screw it. We're just going to build one of these things. Yeah. And I don't want to hear anything other than that. Right? So... My perspective is, screw it. We're just going to fix the climate. 
We're going to fix the food system, and we're going to prep for the next thousand years of human history. And it's going to be awesome. It is awesome. Because when we get there, you know, I love your positive outlook cool. yeah. on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not like you're just like optimistic. You like have the fucking facts. You're ready to go. We have enough facts. Yeah. We have enough facts to know that this is not a pipe dream. And it's extremely inspiring to say, like, no, we can do something. You can do something. That's what I always talk to people about. I'm like, you can do something. Your efforts do count. Yeah. People don't think that, like, little old me can make a change, you know, but you can. Um, What is the next project you're working on? Can we talk about this? Oh, like the top secret project? I yeah. mean, there's a number of film projects, but okay. t- you want to talk about the top secret I want to talk about the top yeah, secret Yeah, I kind of dropped you like a goose egg earlier, and you went right <laughs> past it. I was like, he's going to, oh, okay. Uh, you got you to gotta really get in there to ask that one. So, uh, you know, we just, my wife and I just filmed our first scripted narrative feature. It's called Heartland. And, you know, it's a big transition going from documentaries to movies with real actors. Definitely. They say what you wrote on the page. Yeah. yeah. And then you realize, oh, my God, I shouldn't have written that. I shouldn't have written that something else. That sounds stupid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a legit film. It's got Mariel Hemingway oh. and David Arquette. Oh, wow. Amy Smart, you know, William May Pother, all these great people from all these incredible movies and TV shows. And and so we, we, we did that and we had that experience and now that's getting edited. And, uh, and you can't not film a feature film and want to do another one like so bad right away right right? it's like getting a tattoo oh yeah (laughs) we were just talking about that yeah no you you want a bigger one too you want a bigger one and it's like the second that that, like little that second the needle leaves your skin you haven't even paid the guy yet yep or girl sorry and you're already like i want more yep I want so a big tramp stamp, you so know. Now- <laughs> bring, Dolphin on the back, yeah, baby. Bring the tramp stamp. Yep. So there's a new, yep. so there's a new, new movie. New so we, um, we, we licensed a young adult fiction trilogy, a book series, which if you want to read an environmental thriller, Ooh. They, it's called the Seeds Trilogy. The first one is called The Sewing. And so uh, our next big film, once we get Kiss the Ground out, we're still working on it, investors. We're almost there. It's going to come out. We don't promise. worry. Don't worry. This year, this year, <laughs> um, is called The Sewing. And it's set in the future. It's about 150 years from now after this society that we know has fallen mm. after the famine years, after the religious wars, and a new society has emerged. And that society is based on a very small number of people who have created what appears to at first be an incredible, beautiful, sustainable megalopolis. But we learn that the food <gasps> is all genetically engineered and it is being, con- you know, people are being controlled through what they eat. And there's, <sighs> you know, all sorts of darkness. And there's a female heroine and she's young and, and uh, yeah, it's a very powerful story. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So we're getting towards the end, but I have a couple listener questions for you. Um, the first one is from Callie, who's my roommate, who's a big fan. We were talking about this one the other day while we were actually gardening. It was really fun. We wanted to know what your guilty pleasure is on food. Like, do you ever go to Taco Bell or oh. In-N-Out or <laughs> what do you cheat on? Like, what would your... Yeah, well, you're such a good human. I know. Yeah. You talk... Yeah. I, you know... Yeah. Kiss the ground, but also Taco Bell. No. Right, 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 right. <laughs> What's oh, your man. big thing? Well, you know. Cheetos. I'll be, yeah, Cheetos. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll be honest. It, you know, when we are traveling, whether it's to make a, to make the films or, or just 
to do the college talks. I, 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 I give you an example. I just went to a, give a college talk in, in West Virginia. Great students. You know, they're just, just kind of licking their first little taste of, you know, regeneration and that a whole new carbon conversation. And, and they sat me down. They said, well, we got a dinner for you in the president's room, which was kind of like a closet. And they Amazing. stuffed all these poor students in there with me. And, you know, it was CAFO chicken with, you know, the worst kind of like monocrop pasta sauce out of a jar. And uh, I mean, God bless them, you know, like they were really putting on the, the best that they had. Right. And so you get into a situation like that and you're like, I don't really. You're eating the food, though. Want to eat this? I know what's in this food. Mm-hmm. Like I know what's in this chicken. I know. And that's what's actually in this like chicken. the like, yeah. I really I've been to that facility. Like I know where this thing came from. It's barely a chicken, you know. And they're like, bon appetit. So, <laughs> you know, for me, it's less guilty pleasure. It's less like, oh man, I just gotta get that bag of you know. Like whatever, you, you're you know? showing up with like a disguise on at right. like. KFC, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's more like uh, either... It's saving face. It's, it's more cultural. like either this is what's on the table. Yeah, I'm being polite yeah. to a certain extent. Or we're in, you know, we're in like... Uh, uh, f- we're in the middle of Kansas. Yeah. And it's 11 o'clock at night. You don't have the options. the only thing open is fill in the blank, you know? Do we eat? Or do we starve? Or do we just drink water? And usually I'm with a film crew or a team of people and it's like... Okay, you know, bless this food. I knew it was this came from the earth, you know. <laughs> I knew it was going to be traveling. Yeah. I knew it was going to be traveling. It's, 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 when you're at your home base, it's very easy. Yeah. Okay, but and then I will say one thing about sorry. that. Um, and some of that food really does taste very good. Yeah, <laughs> it's very bad. Yeah. You know, the taste experience it's is sinful. positive. Yeah, sinfully good. Yeah, and then of course, by the time you've eaten the chicken, there's the dessert, and you're like, well, in for an inch, well. in for a mile, you know. You're already here. Um, when in Kansas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'll eat the flurry. Yeah, and, and but it does. It really brings me back every time because it's so easy to get to get caught up into the. God, I know the people at the farmers market. I go visit. All right, everybody. So that's all the time we have with Josh. Thank you so much, Josh. This was super um, informative and eye-opening, and I learned so much. Yeah, amazing. (laughs) You're so much fun, too. You're so charismatic, and you should see him over here with his arms. Yeah, he's this, amazing. This should have been a he's so he's like so excited <laughs> and passionate, and it's exciting. And I definitely feel inspired and capable and able, and want to be more involved. And I think my biggest takeaway is like everyone can be a part of this change. Groovy, great, yeah. And folks can get more information. Kisstheground.com is the nonprofit organization, Thanks. so you can do soil workshops on Facebook and Instagram as well. Kiss the ground, very easy to find. Amazing. Well, thank thank you you so so much. Awesome. Thanks for having me. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.